I want to thank you for listening today. If you have not subscribed to our podcast, please do so and feel free to rate and review us as well. If you live nearby and do not have a church home, we would love for you to come visit us here at Fellowship Bible Church in Jacksonville, Texas. You can connect with us by calling or texting CONNECT to 903-586-6520. If you would like to support the ministry here at Fellowship Bible Church, we would greatly appreciate that as well. To give one time or on a regular basis, you can text GIVE to 903 903- 586-6520. If you live a ways away, we hope you would find a good Bible-believing and preaching church in your area to join and serve in and support. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you have a great week. For those of you just joining us here at Fellowship Bible Church, the month of July is our missions month. During this, this month, we highlight the mission work we're involved in, and our mes- messages are missions-centered. We kicked off the month with Graham preaching a powerful sermon from the book of Acts titled, Escorting, Establishing, and Equipping. This message reflected our mission statement here at Fellowship Bible Church to escort people to Christ, to establish them in truth, and to equip them for ministry. One of the things that Graham explained in his message was, to be successful in evangelism, you must have a heart for it. And a heart for it is fueled by a desire that only comes from fellowshipping with God and through diligent prayer and study of God's Word. The second week, Jim Wilson, one of the founding pastors of our church, now one of the missionaries that we support, preached a great sermon titled, Real People. Jim's sermon provided biblical examples of people who faithfully stepped out in obedience to God's word, to use their God-given gifts and talents for building and growing the church, tasks that we as Christians are commanded to fulfill. Jim challenged us to do the same. Get in the game. He said. Last week, Ron delivered a powerful message titled, Paul's Example of Our Christian Mission. And here, Ron examined some of Paul's missions efforts, according to Luke's account in the book of Acts, and challenged us to answer the call to missions that is placed on our lives as believers and followers of Christ. Ron explained that we must not just be hearers of the word, but that we must be doers of the word. This morning, I will begin a two-part series titled, Courageous for Christ. The series is taken from the fourth chapter of the book of Acts. For those of you who have been listening to the sermons this month, some of this will be reviewed, so please bear with me. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus gave his disciples what we now call the Great Commission. And this mission is given to all believers. To truly identify as a Christian is to identify as a follower of Christ. And the imperative in this passage is meant for all Christ followers. In this passage, we read 
And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I want to say that part again. We need to put a lot of focus on this part right here. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Ron stated last Sunday that the imperative given in this passage is to make disciples. The word go is a participle. It's an ing word. Literally translated while going, while teaching, while baptizing. They were already going. Jesus was already expecting them to be going. And we're to be teaching them to observe all Jesus commanded, and this is to be done in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, triune God. As Graham stated in his sermon, this commission is yet to be fulfilled. In chapter 1, verse 8, in the book of Acts, which is the sequel to Luke's gospel and Luke's second book to Theophilus, Luke accounts for additional instructions that Jesus gave to his disciples. In Acts 1, 8, we read this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. We're still going to the end of the earth. According to the Joshua Project's latest numbers, there are approximately 17,446 unique people groups in the world, with over 7,400 of them considered unreached. That's over 41% of the world's population. Even among the people groups we have reached, we're still making disciples. The job is not complete that Christ has given us to do. Remember that while we want to reach out around the world to share Christ, reaching out begins in our homes, moves out to our family, friends, and communities, and continues outward from there. Do you have a heart for evangelism? Are you in the game? Are you a doer of the word? This morning, I want to ask you this. Are you courageous when it comes to sharing the gospel of Christ with others? In February of 2020, the Jesus Film Project performed a survey of 1,600 people and posted the results on their website. One of the questions they asked was this, what prevents people from sharing their faith? According to their statistics, fear was the number one reason Christians failed to share Christ with others. Many claimed they had a fear of rejection. They were afraid that they would come across as pushy. Or they were scared that they would start an argument. This is what the, the surveyors had to say. Look at this quote up on the screen. When it came to talking to other people about the gospel, fear was far and away the most significant deterrent 
People communicated that they were afraid of losing valuable relationships and wanted to avoid these tensions that accompanied these kinds of discussions. Fear of persecution for sharing Christ with others, it's not a new thing. The early church fathers knew persecution well. In fact, it's believed by many that most of the disciples were martyred for their faith. While there are those around the world today who make the ultimate sacrifice for Christ, we here in the United States rarely see this type of persecution. Persecution we face is more social in nature, at least for now. Christians in our culture are often discouraged by the fear of social alienation. They tend to fear becoming a social pariah or a social outcast for sharing their faith. But are these legitimate reasons to neglect fulfilling the commission we are commanded to fulfill? Millions and millions of people are stepping into eternity without Christ and facing eternal destruction. And we have in our hands their only means of escape. Being afraid of the persecution that comes with sharing Christ, as I said before, is nothing new. This morning, we're going to talk about an example God gives us of someone who became frozen with fear when asked about Christ. He even denied Christ, not once, but three times. You know who I'm talking about. I'm talking about the Apostle Peter. We all know the story. While Jesus was being unjustly condemned before the Sanhedrin, Peter publicly was identified as a Christ follower. He became frozen with fear at the thought of suffering the same persecution that Jesus was suffering, and he even denied knowing Christ. But later, after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, he appeared to Peter and proved to Peter that he was who he said he was, the Son of God. And as a result of this experience and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that later came to him and all the disciples, Peter went on to speak boldly for Christ, displaying courage in the face of such persecution. And eventually Peter was martyred for the faith. This morning we're going to look at Peter's example. That word example, I want to focus on that word for just a moment. Throughout scripture, God gives us instances of people stepping out in faith for him, being obedient to his word, going and fulfill the mission that we're called to fulfill. And these people are examples to us, people that we should emulate. I want you to think about that as we go through the sermon this morning. You have your Bibles turned with me to the book of Acts, chapter 4. Since I'm beginning in chapter 4, I need to give you a brief overview of the events that have led up to this point. After Jesus gave the disciples instructions for building the church and growing the church, he instructed them to wait in Jerusalem until he sent the Holy Spirit. And we see this fulfilled in the book of Acts in chapter 2. The Holy Spirit came upon the disciples, and Peter went out and he preached a simple message. He preached. Christ crucified. He told them that God had sent his son according to his eternal plan 
to live and die and be raised to life again, conquering death so that those who put their faith and trust in him would receive the gift of eternal life and the Holy Spirit. By the way, if you have not done that, pray that you will today. The text shows us that 3,000 souls were added on that day, which was the beginning of the church. In chapter 3, as Peter and John were going up to the temple to speak there, they were confronted by a man who had been crippled since birth. He asked them for alms, but Peter instead told him to rise up and walk, and the lame beggar was miraculously healed. Peter and John then went into the temple and began to speak to the people. Up to this point, according to Luke's account, the apostles had been met with little or no opposition to their efforts to share the gospel and grow and build the church. In chapter 4, we see the religious leaders come against the apostles, which marks the beginning of the persecution of the church. And this brings me to my first point. I know you thought I'd probably never get there. Point number one, when evangelizing, we will face opposition, but we go with the authority of Christ. Look with me at the text, beginning chapter 4, verse 1. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Peter and John were being met with opposition from the religious leaders. Why is that? The text tells us that the religious leaders were greatly annoyed because Peter and John were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They were greatly annoyed because Peter and John were usurping their authority. This was their territory. This was their job. This, their power was being threatened. The religious leaders had spent their whole lives being steeped in Jewish tradition, learning Jewish law for the purpose of one day becoming teachers in the synagogues and temples and becoming religious leaders with authority. Who were these two uneducated men coming in here infringing on their territory. Peter and John were fishermen with no formal training in Jewish law and tradition. By the way, this is proof that you don't need a degree from seminary to be able to speak the gospel into someone's life. The next day, they continued questioning these uneducated fishermen. Look with me at verse 5. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? In other words, what gives you the authority? By what authority do you come in here and do these things? Look at Peter's response, picking back up in verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him 
this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Remember in Matthew 28, Jesus told the disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. And then he commissioned them to make disciples. Who has authority? Do the religious leaders really have authority here? Does man have authority over God? Does creation have authority over its creator? Peter and John had been given the authority by the one who truly has authority. They were obeying the command to share the gospel message and make disciples and they were doing it with courage. They were being courageous. Now this was the same Sanhedrin, the same religious leaders who condemned Jesus to death. Peter knew this. And yet this time, he courageously stood before them and proclaimed Christ. Way to go, Peter. Way to recover. That's courage. Right? It's an example for us to follow an example for us to emulate. Are you courageous in sharing Christ with others? This time Peter was courageous because he had seen the risen Christ. He knew where authority came from. And he was faithful to fulfill the commission given to followers of Christ. The religious leaders, the ones who had been charged with the responsibility of spiritual leadership rejected Christ and even killed him. Of course, they did not overcome Jesus. He went willingly to the cross. This was God's plan from the beginning, and Peter was spelling it out for them. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Have you given your life up and over to Christ? The application here for you to ask yourselves who you say authority has over your life. Do you believe that you're the final authority? Do you believe that you don't have to answer to anyone? Do you believe the one true God, the giver of life, has authority over his creation? Do you believe that he has authority over you? Do you insist on sitting on the throne in your life or do you acknowledge that Christ has been given authority over all things, including you? Those who reject Christ want to maintain control. They reject the gospel message because it interferes with their plans to rule over their own lives. They reject Christ. They want to sit on the throne. They want to be in control. They want to do what they want, when they want, and they don't want to have to answer to anyone including their creator, the one who has authority. Authority to give eternal life to those who will receive it. And authority to give eternal destruction for those who choose to reject it. While Peter knew he went with God's authority, he also knew that he went with God's power. And that brings me to my second point. When evangelizing, we will face opposition, but we go with the power of God. As I mentioned earlier in chapter 3 leading up to chapter 4, Peter and John 
had been met by a lame beggar as they approached the temple. Someone was carrying him to the gate of the temple, which was commonly referred to as the beautiful gate. People could be placed there if they were crippled so that throughout the day they could ask for alms for those, from those who were entering the temple. When the crippled man saw Peter and John, he asked them for alms. But instead of giving him money, Peter told him that he had no money, but he would give him what he did have. And he told him, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And Peter took the crippled man by the right hand and he raised him up and immediately the man's feet and ankles were healed and made strong. The man then walked into the temple with them, leaping and praising God. God's power was displayed for all to see. He had performed a miracle, and this got the people's attention. But then Peter noticed that the crowd marveled at them as though they had performed this miracle. So Peter explained to them that it was through Christ that this crippled man was healed. Peter then preached Christ crucified, and, he, and the text tells us that 5,000 men came to Christ that day. Look with me at chapter 4, verse 4. But many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Now this didn't even account for the women who might have been there. When we're doing the work of God, the work that he calls us to do, he is at work in the process. Now there are those who try to take credit for miraculous events to glorify themselves. Sometimes people even stage events for this purpose. We've all seen that. But Luke is recording a real miracle here. Luke gives us some important information in verse 22, and we don't want to miss this. Look with me at verse 22. The text reads, For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. What's the significance of this statement? If you've ever seen someone lose the use of their limbs like their hands or feet, you know that over time their muscles begin to atrophy. Their tendons begin to draw up as a result of not being used. As time passes, tendons draw up so much that the hands and feet draw up as well. The text states that this man had been crippled by, since birth and he was 40 years old. His muscles would have been atrophied and his feet and ankles would have been drawn up to such an extent that only a miracle would put this man back on his feet. And that's exactly what the text describes. In fact, the miracle is so convincing that even the religious leaders cannot deny its legitimacy. And if anyone could have denied it, they certainly would have. Look with me at verses 14 through 16. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. Day after day, these religious leaders went into the temple and they saw this man. They knew him. Now they see him standing there before him, healed. Even those who oppose Christ cannot deny his power. 
And if you're a believer here today, you have the same power dwelling inside you. If you're a true believer, you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and it is the same Holy Spirit that indwelt Peter and John and the other disciples. Notice here that Luke and Peter both gave God the credit for what was being done. Look with me again, beginning in verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, that's Luke, the author, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing before you well. That's Peter. It's comforting for us to know that when we're doing God's work, we're not dependent on our own talents and our own abilities. God is at work in us and is work at work with us when we are obediently working for his purposes. Peter was filled with God's Holy Spirit. We need to be filled with God's Holy Spirit. We need God's power, and it's in his word, and it's in his spirit, and we need to be filled with it. As Graham said a few weeks ago, if the spirit is not in it, no fruit will come. Fill yourselves daily with God's word. Fellowship with him. Worship him and be in constant prayer with him. In him there is authority. In him there is power. And in him there is truth. And that brings me to my final point, point number three. When evangelizing, we will face opposition. But we should be compelled by the evidence of Christ in our own lives. Religious leaders were desperately doing everything in their power to eliminate the growing threat represented by Christ's followers. But Peter and John refused to be silenced because they had seen and heard the truth. Look with me again at the text beginning in verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we, can't deny, we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and they charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. What was their response? But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. When you know the truth of Christ, you can't just pretend that you don't know. You can't just keep that kind of news under your hat. When you've seen the risen Christ, you become like the lame beggar who was given new life. You want to leap for joy and share the news 
with others. That's what Peter and John were doing. They had a heart for evangelism. They were in the game. They were being doers of the word. And they were courageous for Christ in the face of opposition. And they are an example for us to emulate. They went with the authority of Christ and the power of God and proclaimed that which they had seen and heard. And people came to Christ. Verse 21. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. Are you courageous for Christ? when it comes to sharing Christ with others? Or do you shrink from the challenge for fear of persecution? When being faithful and doing God's work, persecution will come. Christ was persecuted. We will be persecuted. Peter and John knew this. But they were faithful to fulfill the mission anyway. See their example. Be courageous. There are people out there depending on someone to tell them about Jesus and the redemptive work that he accomplished on the cross. Who is going to tell them? Will you? Be courageous. Be that person. Follow Peter and John's examples. Share Christ with those who God has placed in your path. Those who he's placed in your path, he has placed there providentially. Share Christ with them. And if there's no one in your path, if at all possible, put someone in your path to share the gospel message with them. If you're here today or you're listening online, you have not given your life up and over to Christ, I pray that you would today. Put your faith and trust in him. Ask God to forgive you for your sins. Turn from them. Turn your heart toward God and be saved. Let's pray together.